The Man of God Network exists to help the church in her mission to identify and equip qualified, faithful men for the gospel ministry and for the recovery of biblical reformation in our day. It's our joy to provide you with resources that both encourage you and edify you as you seek to build Christ's church where you are, to the end that He is better known, loved, and exalted. We appreciate the support of our listeners. To learn more about how you can help us accomplish our mission, visit manofgodnetwork.com. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here, and I have the privilege to speak with Dr. Burns today, and the topic of our conversation is going to be Adoniram Judson. So, Dr. Burns, Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad to be here, Austin. Yeah, we're excited to have this conversation uh, at the Covenant Podcast. We are especially interested in Baptist history, and Adoniram Judson is someone that we have not had an episode on yet, so we're really excited to have you on uh, to talk about him and how the Lord used him. But uh, before we uh, get into talking about uh, his life can you just begin our conversation by introducing yourself to our audience by uh, sharing any information that you would like to? Yeah, so uh, I've been I've been involved in missions for about twenty years, and um, I've been I've worked all over the world. Teaching pastors and training missionaries has been the longest emphasis of my ministry, but not the only or even the main emphasis. A lot of the work I've done has been in um, theological resource development and translation work, which I do in a variety of different languages with different uh, Hill Tribes people. And the ministry I have is actually quite unique in the sense that uh, it's based in Alaska, and I'm the president of an organization that works with Bush Natives. And so um, that's a pretty seasonal ministry. And when we can't see where we're going in the summer times, which is, you know, most of the most of the year in Alaska is kind of winter, and uh, I spend the school year in uh, Southeast Asia, where I teach at a seminary there. And um, in the summers, my my family and I are here in Alaska. This is where I'm at at the moment. We head back to Thailand in about uh, about two months or so, um, and I teach from a seminary there to a bunch of satellite schools all over Southeast Asia. And uh, I've been, like I said, I've been doing that for about 20 years. And it's being a missionary is a it's a hard and it's a happy life. And uh, I can't imagine doing anything else. Hmm. Wow. Uh, really grateful to hear about yourself and uh, how the Lord has seen fit to use you during this season. And we do want to talk about uh, um, missionary, specifically uh, Adoniram Judson and perhaps the interest that you have in studying him. So uh Perhaps as a follow-up question, can you just tell us about uh, why you are uh, interested in Adoniram Judson? Yeah, it's a great question. So, in when you kind of go back and look at the Lord's, you know, fingerprints of providence in your life, um, things become clearer as you have more distance from them. And I remember when I was uh, back back in two thousand three, um, I was going through a really difficult time in life. Uh, some some just seasons of deep discouragement maybe even depression 
And uh, it was the story of Adnoram Judson that the Lord used to kind of break me through some of that. Uh, mercifully, just hearing of the testimony of God's faithfulness and providence and kindness and strength to sustain Adnaram Judson through immense adversity and immense suffering and even depression and um, you know suicidal ideation even. And it was through the testimony of God's grace in his life that um, God in, you know indelibly stamped the this great, example of a man who just trusted in the Lord. Um, and there, there was always a dear place in my heart for Adnarm Judson. And when I did my PhD work, I was essentially doing two different PhDs that I integrated into a, a concentrated integrated um, program. And I decided to, it was a missions and a spirituality, two different programs that I decided to do a really, really intense dissertation. And um, I had wanted to study Andrew Fuller. That was what I came in the program to do was to study his missionary theology and to write on that. But uh, through a providential conversation with a fellow um, PhD colleague, he said, well, you work with Burmese people. You Most of your teachings in Burma, um, you, you live all over these hill tribes people. Have you ever thought about Adnarm Judson? And I thought, well, um, I mean, he's one of my heroes and he's inspired me for so many years, but I never thought about kind of digging up his life. And so the Lord, through multiple unique providences, he he led me to do my Ph.D. research on Judson. And what I discovered was that there was multiple volumes of biographies written about him and his story is fabulous. It's it combines romance and adventure and thrill and mystery and all everything that goes into a really dynamic story it's really there in his life story and multiple biographies have been written about him and still sell because it's such a fascinating story but nobody had ever gotten underneath the surface kind of checked the hood so to speak and looked at the engine what drove adnor and judson and uh, i mean i i started doing digging and realized nobody had done that and i thought sign me up and I was perfectly placed in Burma, working with Burmese people, had some, I, I had boots on the ground, so to speak, um, and was able to unearth uh, some of his writings that I, nobody even knew were in existence and um, translated them into English and uh, have gone through everything by him, about him, and everything, just the whole, the whole corpus and then some. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a fabulous study and, uh, he changed my life in so many ways. Hmm, that's really, uh, encouraging to hear and glad that you've been able to profit from, uh, his story and glad the Lord used him, uh, to benefit you during that season that you mentioned. Um, but in light of the research that you've spent on Adonair Judson now, we want to ask you if you would uh, give our audience a biographical sketch of, of Adonair Judson. And uh, in your uh, sketch, if you wouldn't mind, uh, would you include the detail of how Judson became a Baptist? Sure, yeah. So uh, he was born in uh, 1788, August 9th. And uh, he was born to a... Um, a preacher named Adnaram Judson Sr. And he was of the Puritan ilk. He'd, 
he trained under um, the Jonathan Edwards School of the Prophets, as they used to call it. And um, that was a, a very discipleship-oriented, non-formal uh, pastoral training program. Um, and so he was very Puritan, very Edwardsian in his theology. And Judson Jr., Adnarum Jr., grew up in that. He was a skilled linguist from a young age. And, and to be to be fair, most, most children were, you know, they were fluent at some level in different languages at the in that era anyways but he'd he'd um been reading cicero in latin from a very young age he he had a mind for linguistics he his dad went on a a, a preaching trip and a week later came back and um adnaran jr had memorized one of the psalms um in as a as a young young boy like six years old and he was um he was just very inquisitive, a very inquisitive uh, child. And, but he grew up uh, an unbeliever, um, you know, living, living the life of a Christian in, in the home of a um, congregationalist pastor, uh, went to Brown University and um, he was a deist. There was a, uh, the, they, they called it French infidel infidelism back in the day. And it was deism essentially. And, um, he, he was valedictorian. He graduated, gave a very, uh, a very robust deistic manifesto at his, at his Brown graduation. And, um, he, he wanted to go off to theater. Um, he went to New York and he and some friends, uh, traveled the countryside and they, they wanted to write for theater. They, they just were living kind of the, um, kind of a very pagan lifestyle for those days and just living like unbelievers, living like seculars to the core. And, um, his, uh, his, his, one of his friends, uh, roommate in at Brown was, um, Jacob Eames or some people say Jacob Ames. And he was a deist. He was, he was essentially the guy that kind of converted Judson to official deism back in the day. And, um, he had, he had been, visiting his uncle Ephraim in Western Massachusetts. And Ephraim was a was a was essentially a Puritan pastor of the Edwardsian ilk. And he went to his uncle's house. And uh, what's what's just fascinating about this is history doesn't record this man's name, but in, in um, Judson's biography, it just, he describes this, it was one of the pastor pastoral candidates who was living with his uncle Ephraim. Ephraim wasn't there. And so Judson had stayed at his uncle's house and he, he discusses this this young man's um, piety and pathos for God, and there was something about the way this young man spoke about his relationship to the Lord that dominated Judson's um, conscience for a couple of days. And Judson rode into the wilderness after his time at Uncle Ephraim's house with this young man. Again, no no name, nobody has any clue who this person was, but made an indelible mark on Judson's soul. And then he it, he runs into some bad weather, ends up in a little inn, a little, you know, hotel. And um, anybody who knows the story of Judson knows this part. This is a very pivotal time in his life. Um, he's there in the inn in this hotel. Essentially, the walls are very thin. It's like, you know, having a curtain hanging between beds. It's a very, very porous wall. And uh, there's a man on the other side of the wall who's, who's suffering and bas basically dying in his sleep. And he's coughing and yelling and moaning throughout the night. And um, 
finally the man dies early in the morning and as Judson's checking out, he, he asked the innkeeper, he says, you know what, what happened to the young man on the other side of the curtain or the other side of the wall? He said, oh, he died. And as he's walking out and he's crossing the threshold out of the inn, he turns around and asks his name. He says, well, do you know who he was? Does he have any family around? And the guy said, yeah, he was a young man. Um, he just recently graduated from Brown University. I believe his name was Jacob Eames. And uh, Judson was, he, he notes in his story, he was thunderstruck that um, his deistic friend who had essentially assaulted him with deistic, um, you know, proselytization for the years he was at, at uh, Brown had died a violent death and he was there to hear him pass into the unknown. And Judson was completely rocked by this. And um, he, he had a long horse ride to his next destination. And there was just, the Lord was at work in his soul. And he, uh, he decided to enroll at Andover Seminary a, a brand new, uh, brand new seminary started by um, some men in uh, the the Boston area, and uh, he was one of the first enrollees in the seminary. And he became a believer his his first um, his first semester at Andover. They they admitted him, even though he wasn't a believer. He was so inquisitive, and he was so good with languages. He's so good. He's such a good um, scholar at a young age that they they thought they would make a a provision for him that maybe he would come around and he did indeed come around. God gripped his heart and he, um, he buddied up with some of, some of the guys from the, the Haystack uh, prayer meeting in 1804, um, 1804. They became friends at Andover and he was, he was influenced towards missions there at Andover and um, received deep discipleship by many of the, many of the professors. And they were very evangelism oriented in their theology, they have a very warm hearted Calvinism, um, an evangelical Calvinism, kind of as Lloyd Jones would call, like logic on fire. Um, that was their their um, their pathos as as um, men in training for missions. And the, one of the really unique things about Judson was he was considered to be one of the most gifted orators they'd ever seen. The pastors, the professors had ever seen, and he was offered the most prestigious pulpit in Boston at the time. And they thought he'd be like the next George Whitfield. Um, very, very dynamic, very gifted, talented speaker, and he turned it down to become a missionary. And um, he, he, uh, he was essentially chided by his family. His dad was not terribly pleased with him, um, but Judson had a a burning desire to get the gospel to the unreached, and uh, particularly in in Burma, uh, he had. There was no there's no missions program to send him so he actually went over to the london baptist society and visited with andrew fuller um to look into getting support initially from from london but it didn't work out and uh funny story along the way um he 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 was uh the ship he was on was commandeered by one of napoleon's fleets and he was thrown in prison in in france and uh the only way he got out was that he spoke latin and he he kind of made friends with one of the prison guards and um judson even as he was writing going back to the states to raise support he said you know maybe this is preparing me for the sufferings to come as a missionary as prison life and and part of god's providence in his life is he he gets to india he studies well, studies he works with william carey for a short season and um, there's no hope to get to Burma. They're looking at um, Penang, which is in Malaysia, and a couple other places. But then there, a ship just shows up, and he and 
his then wife, Anne, they, they marry. And then like two days later, they go on the mission field. He and his wife, Anne, jump on a ship to Burma, end up in Burma. And um, they they serve there for mul multiple years. And Anne dies in uh, 1826. And um, Judson had been in he had been in prison during this time because the um, British and the Burmese were at war and the Burmese thought he was a British spy. And um, he, he had been in prison for approximately about 22 months. So almost two years and suffered great torture. And a uh, couple really interesting things about, about this, this moment in his life is it's, it's a good example of the Lord providentially guiding the word the written word which judson was so committed to to um investing in the written word and judson as, as i mentioned earlier was a talented orator he he said he would say he felt called to preach but he couldn't preach until there was a bible and so it's like he put his preaching gift his preaching burden on the shelf and what drove him as a translator was his passion to preach um and so he he called it a great a long life of self-denial denying himself his passion to preach so that the Bible could be translated. And so he's devoted to the written word. And uh, while he's in prison, being tortured for approximately, like I said, almost two years, about 22 months or so, um, the Burmese soldiers have raided his house, are looking for it, and hides, hides the manuscripts, the, the then Burmese manuscripts that he had in the ground. And she tells him, and he says, no, but it's going to rot in the ground. So you got to put it somewhere else where they can't find it. So she wraps it in a pillow, um, like she puts the, the manuscripts inside a pillow, wraps it up, and then she puts lacquer around the pillow and makes it really hard. So it's sealed and it's kind of airtight and, and no water can get in it and rot. And then she has this really hard pillow with lacquer around it and she takes it to him and she gives it to him and uh, the, the, the guards in the prison say, they kind of kick it around like a soccer ball or a football. And they said, what What are these crazy foreigners want uh, such a hard pillow for? And they said, well, we don't need it. I, he might as well just put his head on it. And he put his head on this hardened pillow with the manuscripts inside. And he talked about how God had, he had preserved the sacred ark underneath the noses of the Burmese guards. And um, one day he's extracted from prison and he's just taken and he's not able to take the pillow with him. And he's completely, um, uh, he, he's just, he feels gutted that he's just left behind all his translated works there in the prison. And his Burmese uh, translator friend, his first convert, Mong Nao, um, goes to the prison a few days later to pack up some of Judson's stuff and take it to the next prison site. And um, he didn't find it, but on his way, he found the trash heap that the guards had thrown everything into. And he, there he found, he found the, the lacquered pillow. And he comes, he comes running back home. Judson actually had been released and he's back. And Mung now comes running with like a football in his arms, um, the pillow, the Bible. And, and, it's, and they rejoice together because there they know that all of their work is in the written word. And um, Judson, that's, that's one of the keys of Judson's life. And that was actually part of the key that, kind of converted him from Congregationalist to Baptist was when he's on that voyage to India initially, he's a Congregationalist, but he's so textual minded. He's so word centered 
and he's so um, devoted to the written word, not just the oral word, not just not not a story, but the text itself. Um, as he's translating, he stumbles upon the Greek word for baptism, and he's he says, you know, there is no way around this. It means to immerse. It means to dunk or to dip. Um, it just it can't mean sprinkle at all. And it was his commitment to Greek. He was translating the Greek into English for himself on his uh, his voyage to India, and he wrote what William Carey said was the best um, best argument for believers' baptism he'd ever read. And um, saying a lot coming from Carey, who is a linguist and a theologian by his own right, um, a very renowned. And so uh, it's, a, it's still actually quite a good read. It's um, an, an excellent argument for believers' baptism. And Judson and Anne, you know, when they were on that voyage to India, there they said, you know, we we will lose all our support as congregation congregationalists. We will lose our our friends because Baptists were not highly respected in those days in the post-colonial era. Um, well, it was colonial post-colonial era. Um, they were the congregationalists were kind of the elites, and the money was with the congregationalists, but the Baptists were. Um, outcast socially and for Adnarum and Ann, for them it was a it was a huge um, leap of faith to trust God to to make a decision on doctrine and theology that was not expedient necessarily it was not it didn't guarantee you know social standing or financial stability but they resolved to be obedient to the word and um, it just it just goes to show kind of it's an analogy of the fiber and the doctrinal drivenness of Adnarum and Ann. Um, and that, that stayed with him all his life. He was very doctrinally minded, very word-centered. And uh, like I said, Ann died in 1826. And then about eight years later, he married Sarah Boardman, whose who's her husband, George Boardman, had also died. And she was a missionary with the Karen people. Um, Sarah and Adnarum married in 1834. Uh, God really poured out his spirit in 1831, um, after you know many many years of suffering and agony, torture and heartache with loss of children, um, loss of Anne, God blessed um, his sufferings in 1831. People came from uh, China and Cathay and other parts of Siam, Thailand, um, asking for a writing. They said, "Are you the Jesus Christ man? Give us a writing that tells us how to um, escape eternal hell." And um, he was, uh, his confidence was in the written word. And that was what he devoted himself to in training pastors who could preach it. And uh, yeah, so much more could be said about examples that highlight his devotion to the written word and its doctrines. Um, but then, you know, Sarah dies uh, and he's taking Sarah back to the U.S. to get medical help. And she dies and um, he buries her along the way. Um, and he gets back to the U.S. First time he'd ever been back since he left in 1812. He comes back in 1847, um, meets Emily, his third soon-to-be wife. And uh, she's a, a talented author, a talented writer. And she writes his story. And she um, she pens a lot of his story. And it's thanks to her and God's providence that we know anything about him, really. Um, and they go back to Burma. He dies in 1850. And um, their uh, their son dies not long after he dies, and um, the uh, 
the story, his story is penned by her. She compiles all his notes as, as much as she had at least. And then she um, basically inter interviews with Francis Wayland, who was the president of Brown University at the time. And he writes the definitive, uh, exhaustive Judson biography. It's a two volume set. And pretty much every other biography is based out of Wayland's um, two, two volume set. Um, the best one in, in my opinion, that, that is the best historically grounded and readable um, and the most interesting to read is um, Courtney Anderson's To the Golden Shore, which was written in the 50s. Um, but of, of all the biographies, Anderson does the best job to combine readability, um, just story-like format and historical accuracy. Um, so if you're looking for a good book on Judson, I would recommend Courtney Anderson's To the Golden Shore. So I'm going to pause there. I know there's a long answer, but there's there's a lot to a story that makes it so compelling. Um, so many more little things I could fill in, but um, those are the highlights that make him such a inimitable missionary. No, that that is golden stuff that we really wanted to uh, hear about, and we're glad that you're able to give us a um, overview of the highlights of uh, Adoniram's life especially interested in the story of the football pillow. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you for uh, sharing yeah. that with us, yeah. brother. And uh, we do want to make some more uh, applications out of this uh, biographical sketch that you've given to us about Adoniram. So uh, just to transition the conversation to our next point, uh, we want to be more pointedly talking about evangelisms and missions. So uh, what can Adoniram teach us about evangelism and, and missions? Yeah, uh, so um, in my in my book, uh, A Supreme Desire to Please Him, The Spirituality of Adam Judson, I um, I break up his, what you might call his missionary spirituality into a couple different chapters. And they all feed into uh, his, you know, well, let me, let me just put it this way. Your methodology is always downstream of your theology. Um, and somewhere in between is your spirituality. Um, I would call your spirituality the glue that sticks together your theology and your missiology. Um, so he didn't just do ministry. He didn't just do evangelism missions out of nowhere. And that's what my book is designed to uncover is who was he? What did he, do? What did he believe? How did that affect him devotionally and spiritually? And how did all of that propel him to be the evangelist and the missions-minded person he was? Um, so what we can learn in a snapshot from Judson, the biggest takeaways would be essentially an um, indomitable trust in the providence of God. And he would define that as God's sovereignty, God's wisdom, and God's benevolence. Um, and, and, and actually, it's, it's quite a good biblical definition of the providence of God. When you look at the Bible, the three major features of the providence of God revealed in scripture are sovereignty, you know, kindness or benevolence and his wisdom. Um, Justin would often come back to those three parts of God. So a, I'm going to do my best, but know that it doesn't depend upon me. And if I perish, I perish, but God will get the job done. And so part of Judson's confidence in, in God's electing grace to call out people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Um, I mean, that stabilized him to just suffer long. But the other thing that people don't realize, because a lot of people will just will look at um, the story or they'll look at, 
you know, kind of what he did uh, as far as great feats like translating the Bible. But what was unique about that, and, and probably one of the most instructive things for me, was his confidence in the written word. That he, um, I mean, even the Burmese, it, it's what, you know, some missiologists call a redemptive analogy. Some culture, not every culture, but some cultures have little interpretive keys into the culture that you can tap into and and transfer gospel meaning into their culture and not not all of them are like this but every now and then you find one like in burma they believed that um in the 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 temple the pagoda in the center of their towns or villages um in the in the temple or the pagoda was was a written book and that was supposed to to kind of determine the culture and the civil life and the belief system of the people. It was the stabilizing center of each village. And Judson was devoted to get a Bible into the center of each town so that it would, it would itself kind of evangelize that town that people would start reading it. And Judson was so committed to what the, the Burmese called the golden lamp from heaven. Um, they believed that some sacred book was like a golden lamp that, you know, came down out of heaven that was supposed to tell them, um answers to life essentially the, a philosophy of life and what was so instructive about judson's evangelism was his his confidence in getting the written word into the hands of people um judson was he was uh so devoted to translating the bible and then sowing seed and getting tracts apologetic resources into the hands of people i mean it, it was it's kind of like you can get a you can get a PhD in seed throwing, but it doesn't really matter because the power's in the seed. Like you, our job is just to indiscriminately, liberally disseminate the seed all over the ground and then sleep like God is sovereign. And Judson's, I mean, his devotion to evangelism was such that he could just sow the seed, sow the seed, print print the Bible, print the tracts, do do the work of getting the Bible into the hands of people, and know that the Bible is, as Cameron, Cameron Townsend would say, the best missionary. Um, and so Judson was very committed to the written word. And he was, in a way, he was kind of like what we might call like a presuppositionalist, um, not not in the fullest sense, but he definitely was very tech-centered and he was always bringing people back to the written word. And he would push the, the Buddhist monks to you know, what does the text say? I mean, that was his question is, what does the text say? And he was always getting them to argue with what the written word said. And it was, it was a, it was fabulous. And in, even in my work in um, the Buddhist world, uh, when you're working with, you know, Buddhist scholars, um, one of the best things you can do is bring them back to the text. And um, the Bible does its work and you don't need to get in the way and you don't need to help it along. Just let the Bible do its work. And Judson, for me, um, was incredibly instructive in bibliocentrism and text-oriented evangelism. Um, completely transformed my missions philosophy after studying him. Yeah, that's really helpful and uh, encouraged to hear about the word-centered ministry of Adoniram Judson. Um, another thing that you've been alluding to in your biographical sketch of Adoniram was the um, abundant amount of suffering that the Lord allowed him to go through. And so uh, initially, as I had worded this question, I wanted to talk about uh, grieving through spousal loss, but we can open it up to uh, other forms of suffering that uh, Adoniram went through throughout his life. So what can Adoniram teach us about uh, grieving through 
various sufferings that the Lord sends our way? Yeah, um, I, I think, uh, I mean, he, he had 13 kids and three wives. Um, you know, two of, two of his wives, he buried third died at a, Emily died at a young age due to compromised health from Burmese, um, illness and of his 13 children, seven died and six lived to, to, in a, you know, to live as adults. Um, he was, you know, he was not the only missionary to suffer like this, but he's one of the stories we know of somebody who suffered like this, but his, his confidence in what I said earlier, the providence of God, the, the sovereignty of God over all, all things, absolute sovereignty, not just God's reactionary nature, but God's sovereign activity, sovereign active control over all things. Um, and not just a distant, removed, calloused sovereign in the universe, but a loving God who works according to the wisdom of his counsel. Um, Judson's confidence in that God who loved him, that God who is in control of all things, and that God who is infinitely wise stabilized him to press on. And um, he he certainly went through his own ups and downs, his own questioning. And you you don't want to you don't want to over psychologize it a little bit, but if you can if you can kind of imagine being tortured in you know without any sort of ethics at all. You know, it wasn't like he was just held in an, in a nice prison. He was actually tortured in prison for months and months. And so days become weeks and weeks become months and months become almost years of unremitting torture. And the mind tends to break down and, you know, your adrenal glands dry up, you are dehydrated, you start to hallucinate, you um, are in immense pain, you come in and out of consciousness, uh, your brain stops working, you know, you, uh, there's just so many things, physiologically speaking, that can happen to a person with so much unending trauma for so long. And so you kind of want to give him, give him a pass for some of the things he said around that time of his life, because he was probably out of his mind. And that was part of the, you know, you want to say the art of, of Burmese torture, they had mastered kind of the art of torturing people over a very long period. It wasn't like the Romans that tortured people, you know, for a couple of days and then killed them. I mean, they, they had a way of torturing people to the point of almost dying and keeping them alive for weeks and months on end. Um, so what we can see now in retrospect was that it wasn't Judson's strength of holding on to God as much as it was God's power to hold on to Judson and to keep him in the faith through it all and to keep him trusting in, in his providence. And so grieving a loss, I think the way I understood Judson personally, consciously dealt with it um, was his, as Francis Whalen said, his um, pervasive heavenly mindedness. It was the one point of his spirituality that Whalen said permeated all of his writings. And I, I would agree, generally speaking, I think, I think, one of the most obvious features of his of his ongoing spirituality was his his heavenly minded longing for home and his 
his trust that all of this is, you know, Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, who, who are called according to his purpose. Um, his confidence that God is going to make good on all his promises. Uh, if he, if he weren't so heavenly minded, if he didn't believe that God was going to reward all the, as Paul says in first Corinthians for the deeds done in darkness, that from God we will receive our commendation, not condemnation, but commendation. Um, I think if he hadn't had that sweet, deep trust in God's kindness to make good on all of those little sacrifices, I don't know if he would have made it. Um, but that's the one thing I think if you want one takeaway, it's a, a pilgrim mindset and a heart that is just taken with the promises of heaven. Um, that's, I think, what got him through, and he would constantly look forward to, you know, the the crystal sea, walking with Jesus, seeing his his deceased family members reunited, and and with surrounded by Burmese, many Burmese martyrs, and and others as well. So I would say that that is probably what helped him the most. Hmm. Well, all throughout this episode, we've been hearing about the spirituality of Adoniram Judson. And so um, if our listeners wanted to read his works and uh, get to know a glimpse of this man, like you have spent a lot of time profiting from from him, what are some of the most pertinent letters or works that he wrote um, that you would suggest that our listeners would take up and read if they want to to know a little bit about him from his own pen? Yeah. So, I mean... Frankly, uh, you know, probably the the easiest entry point into it is my book, A Supreme Desire to Please Him, because what I tried to do, I, I tried to let Judson speak for himself. So I, 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 you know, distilled a lot of his writings into the most pertinent parts and categorized them. So if, if you just want an easy entry point, definitely pick up my book. And it's got, I've, I've footnoted everything. I've got lots of research in it. So if you wanted to follow little tributaries along the way to other resources, you can. But the only reason I say that is because there's a lot of his stuff out there is impossible to find um, because it's not published. I have it on my computer. Someday I'll probably do his complete critical works. Um, it's just not, it's not on my list of things to do at the moment, but it, I will do it someday. Um, I have publishers who are interested in it. Uh, but so there's some stuff you wouldn't know is even in existence. But if you do want to read some things he's written, um, his his book on baptism is in open source. So you can find that on Google Books. You can you can get it on Amazon in a PDF where you can buy it. Um, that's a great little book on believers baptism. Uh, and the other the other ways to get to his actual writings were um, if you get Francis Whalen's two volume um, biography. He has in there a lot of his writings. And the only other biography written that might have those writings and or additional writings that Wayland doesn't have is by his son, Edward Judson. Um, Edward wrote another one volume biography on Judson that was from a son's perspective. Um, also, just a lot of overlap with Wayland's. He probably used some of Wayland's biography for his own biography of his dad. Um, but Edward Judson, the one volume, and Francis Whalen, the two volume, have, generally speaking, the easiest accessibility to Adnarum's own writings himself. 
in addition to the book on baptism. But other than that, um, if you want easy snapshots and extracted quotes and stuff that give you kind of cut through a lot of the a lot of the stuff that is hard to wade through, definitely pick up my book. Yeah, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about that, uh, especially because uh, one of my questions was that we wanted to know uh, biographical works about Judson or other uh, secondary resources. So um, maybe if you have anything else to say about your your book that you would like our audience to know, you could tell our audience. And then um, in addition to your book, what are some other works about Judson uh, that you would recommend to our audience? Um, yeah, so... there's just, like I said, there's not, there hasn't been many. Um, Some are so obscure and obtuse, often some sort of catalog of, you know, somebody's THM thesis on something about linguistics related to Judson. But like I said, there's mostly 99% of the stuff about him are all biographical and they all say the same thing more or less. And so if you just want to read a biography, you got to read Courtney Anderson's biography. I mean, I know even my, one of my PhD supervisors said it was, he said it was, and he's a historian. He said it was the best Christian biography he'd ever read because it combines all those features I I mentioned. Um, I know other, other guys who, you know, very, very influenced that they said if they could be on a desert Island with one biography, it would be Judson's biography. Um, by Courtney Anderson. So I can't plug that book enough. Um, as far as other works, the only other work that's kind of out there that's sort of, I mean, accessible to the general public, that's, not, like I said, not some sort of just academic THM thesis sitting in the back of the library, is um, it's a, a, a short little volume edited by Jason Juicing down at Midwestern. Um, Dr. Deucing did a great job combining different contributors to contribute different features of of um, Judson's thought and life. So it's it's kind of one of those short little snapshots into the kind of the ideas, the theology, and the life of Abner and Judson, and um, some really good um, contributions there in those chapters. It's it's a you know if you read my book, Dr. Deucing's book, and um, Courtney Anderson's book. I would say that's probably the the best three you could you could get um, that give you a good access point to Judson. Hmm. Well, Dr. Burns, I've thoroughly uh, enjoyed our time together talking about uh, the saint of old. And as we uh, draw our conversation to an end now, I want to ask just two uh, concluding questions, and they are: what what final encouragements do you have about Judson, and uh, why is he? important in our telling of Baptist history? Uh, I, 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 I would just say, um, and, and the people in Judson's day even struggled with this. When he came back to Boston in 1847 for his short little um, home assignment, he was welcomed with a hero's welcome. And back in the then 19th century, um, one of the popular types of literature was called like um, hero stories or or like hero biographies. And so he was one of those, he was kind of lumped in with this um, historiographical sort of legendary storytelling. And um, as with some stories, stories, biographies become stories and stories become legends. 
and in in a way his story is legendary because it's it's such a unique story and not i mean some missionaries experience a fraction of the things he experiences but so much of his life is combines so many interesting features of god's providence but i i just would say um judson was just an ordinary man kind of quirky big-hearted very talented um certainly a sinner not perfect by any stretch of the imagination he was just an ordinary man that served an extraordinary god who wanted to do something um extraordinary through the means of the written word um judson was not a he was not a rock star he was he was not a super saint as we might as we might think um he certainly he was unique even people who knew him knew he was unique and that god's hand was uniquely on his life in a very profound way i mean even his contemporaries would admit that in their own letters um but he's just an ordinary man carried along by the means of grace by a sovereign god and so um people can be encouraged just to know that it's it's the lord who does it not us he always does it in spite of us not not because of us um and at the end of the day it's all about christ anyways judson would say let my name perish into oblivion um i just want i don't want people to remember me i want them to remember my savior that he died for the sins of the nations and for baptist history and baptist um theology in particular i would say judson combined um some of the best of baptist history in the sense that he was a what you might call a particular baptist he was he um, believed in the doctrines of grace he was um, a man who believed in evangelism and credo baptism and discipleship but the the one contribution he made that was very it wasn't unique to him because there was others like fuller and carry that were the same way but very distinct was his like i mentioned multiple times his commitment to the written word um to translating and proclaiming the written word uh just if if you can learn anything from him just know that what what made him a baptist and what kept him a christian was his his submission and yielded spirit to the written word of god um that that was the determinative factor in his spirituality and in his theology was his commitment to thus saith the lord um so i would just offer those couple insights into how he can instruct us today as both christians and baptists amen dr burns i want to especially thank you for uh taking the time to come on and have this conversation with us and uh being accommodating uh to us and rescheduling so that way we could have this conversation thank you for your graciousness to give us your time and uh Really appreciate you and the work that you've you've done on Adoniram. Thank you so much today. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great being here with you. And to our listeners, uh, we will link to the show note or in the show notes to uh, Dr. Burns' book uh, and uh, perhaps some of the places that he alluded to on Google Books where you could read some things uh, by Adoniram Judson. We hope that this conversation has been profitable. And until next time, we want to wish you grace and peace. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. 
Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.